0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My name is Gabe Phillips, if we have not met, and I'm married to the beautiful Fiona, who is in the mother's room with an 18-month-old little uh, ginger ninja called Olivia Grace. And as I mentioned last week, we are also seven weeks pregnant with hopefully another redhead in, in, the, in the womb. We trust one can hope. And uh, if you are somebody who's uh, good at maths, you'd work out that we've been doing the Sex on Sunday series for six weeks. So either we are people who practice what we preach or we preach what we practice. But either way, God is good. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. But this evening, we are wanting to... I love that. I've been working on that joke all day. <laughs> and it paid off. Good. But uh, this evening, I'm going to bring into culmination just six weeks of preaching our Sex on Sunday series. And, uh, and it's, God has been really kind. And I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've missed it, I'd encourage you to go to the website or our YouTube and uh, page. And just why don't you, our YouTube channel, why don't you catch up there? Because I believe God has deposited much truth that brings leads to freedom, future, and fulfillment in this area of sex and sexuality. But the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, a brief, uh brief synopsis of God creating everything. Yes, everything. The heavens and the earth and everything in between, including your sexuality, including uh, what goes on in your thought life. He created all of it and he said it was good. But then... What happens in, in the garden is that sin enters it and it distorts this good gift and it minimizes it, it, it subdues it and it pa- takes this great gift of sexuality and puts it in the shade and we get, uh, we get ashamed and we get high, hide with it and we start playing different games with this good gift that God gives us and it becomes a taboo subject that's actually for us to talk about, to us to indulge in because we think that actually we've got a better design than God. The problem with that agenda is that it doesn't lead to life. So much so as we read in scripture, Genesis chapter 50, the last verse of Genesis chapter 50 of the whole book of Genesis, which starts in the garden, the last line says this, and they buried Joseph in a coffin. What started in the garden because of sin in 50 short chapters becomes death in a coffin. What's even more remarkable than that is actually the one line before that they were buried buried in the one chapter before is Joseph appealing to his brothers in Egypt in a foreign land um, in, 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 in a time of famine he says to them, when you do one day leave Egypt, please take my bones back with you to the promised land. This, this appeal saying, take my bones with you. Now the incredible thing that follows is that if you measure and track Joseph's bones through the next few chapters and the next few books of the Bible, that actually from that moment of Joseph's appeal to the time they take Joseph's bones back to the promised land and bury them is 500 years. They actually bury him in the book of Joshua, the last chapter of Joshua, Joshua 24, which is the sixth book in the Bible. So from Genesis 50 all the way through Joshua, the Israelite nation are haunted with Joseph's death. They're haunted with the fact that they were the people who led him into Egypt, that they were people all the way through their slavery, all the way through their wilderness years, they carry behind them bones reminding them of where they've been and where they've messed up. I want to say tonight, as we, we come into close in the series, I believe many of us have been carrying bones Reminders of our past for way too long. That we've been living under the condemnation of failed relationships for way too long. We've been living with hostility towards an ex for way too long. We've been living in an insecurity that's fueled by going back again and again to, to somebody who is not good for you. You've been living with the bones, the reminder of a past because of a habit that just won't let go and keeps holding you hostage. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you beg, you just can't break this habit. And it feels like you're dragging these bones everywhere you go. I want to tell you today, I believe, is the night. Tonight is the night for us to break up with our past. It's time to have a stage of breakup. Come on. I like the back row already. But it's time for us to break up with our past. Time for us to bury some bones. And I want to suggest, though, that we're not going to do it in a somber environment. We're not going to, I'm not going to take you to a funeral today to bury these bones. I want to take you to a wedding, if that's all right. So why don't you stand to your feet? John chapter 2 is where we're going to read. We're going to read 11 verses of Scripture. And then I'm going to preach. And then we'll have good coffee together. But in between that, I believe God wants to do something profound in our hearts. We stand because we want to posture ourselves before the Word of God. It's the highest authority here in this church. John chapter 2, I'll read, lean in with faith. It says this, on the third day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. Just if, if you're a kid, never speak to your mom like that. Only if you're not Jesus, you can't do it. But Jesus replied, he said, My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, there was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, Though, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray this evening. Father, I thank you this evening that your word tonight is higher, it's the highest authority, and is higher than our feelings. I thank you that your word tonight is higher than our emotions. Your word is higher than failed relationships. I thank you, Father God, that your word is higher than any addiction. I thank you, God, that your word is higher than any past here tonight. I thank you, Father, that your word is here and it's opening up hearts. And in the same breath, it's opening up futures. I declare this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat this evening. Say hi to someone on the way down very quickly. This evening, three quick points from this text that will help us break up with our past, bury our bones, and move into the future that God has got for us. We need to know these deep truths this evening. Number one is this. It will be on the screen behind me. But when we are running low, Jesus is only just beginning. When we are running low, Jesus is only just beginning. You see, in weddings in that context, running out of wine was not just a mere embarrassment. It was a tragedy. It was chaos. Why? Because weddings were a little different than what we see these days in our, in our modern day culture. These days, the wedding is about a 40-minute ceremony, a few cucumber sandwiches and croquet on the lawn, um, a few photos with the bride and groom, do a dance or two, have a meal, have a speech, throw the bouquet, and you're home by 11 with lots of happy memories and a full stomach. The problem in the Jewish culture is that that is that's too limited. Actually, a good Jewish wedding was determined by the length of time it went on for. A good Jewish wedding was three, four days. The real rages went into a second week. And actually, what would lead this to this thing of, 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 of the, the joy of a wedding was actually the longer the wine exists, the longer there was wine enough to keep the people there, the wedding would go on further. So a, a husband-to-be would prove his ability to look after his spouse by how long the wedding would go. How much he had prepared financially for that moment indicated how long he had prepared for the future moments to come. So if a wedding was starting to run out of wine, when the wine finished, the people went home. So this was not just an embarrassment. This wasn't just like, okay, fine, but just get the soft drinks out. No, 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 this was a problem. And this is the amazing thing that Jesus steps into the moment like this, at this moment, when moments are getting low. I want to say that expectations in our lives are just like that. Expectations are the same. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been holding on. You've been holding on for years for Mr. Right or Miss Right to come your way. And you've been hoping with eager anticipation. But as the years tick by and you realize life, the time is getting a little bit lower, cynicism starts to replace the expectation in your heart. And all of a sudden now you're sharing the memes that are aggressive or anti to the other sex and gender. Because actually cynicism starts to take hold of your heart. Or maybe it's like relationships where where actually passions once burned bright. They burn bright and true, but now after years they're starting to dim and diminish. I want to say this evening with such confidence that if you're here tonight and whether you're single, married, divorced, or wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, if you're feeling like you have nothing left to give if you're feeling that you're running low on emotional capability, if you're running low on ability to woo and romance your spouse, if you're feeling low on your ability to hold a relationship together, you're going, actually, I don't have much left to give. I'll tell you, if you're feeling low and empty, or if you say, I've got nothing to give my spouse, nothing to give my kids, nothing to give my future, those are perfect conditions for Jesus to work. When I read the story, Jesus didn't need much from our end to perform a great miracle. When you're running low, Jesus is just beginning. You see, what I love about this is how Mary comes onto the scene. And Mary says, they're running low, Jesus. It's your time to shine. You're up. And Jesus says, hey, it's not my time. What I love about Mary is Jesus says, dear woman, don't involve me in this. It's not yet my time. Mary almost, she's got such expectation in Jesus that she's not even going to be dissuaded when Jesus says, hey, no, no, mom, 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 I'm having a good chat with Peter. Please, don't don't involve me in this. Mary just almost goes beyond that word. She says, Jesus involved. Jesus says, no, not my time. The next line says, Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. I love a mom's expectation, but not in a maternal way, but because she knows that Jesus is not just her son. He's the son of God. And she has faith and expectation at this moment. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus then turns to them, and almost with a smile I can imagine, he's so happy that his mom has got it. His mom is no longer just somebody who's molly colliding along. His mom is going, Jesus, I know that you are who you say you are. You are who you say you are. Jesus with a smile turns to the servants and he says to take those water jars and fill it to the brim. This is not some Jesus who's been coerced into the moment, all right, fine, let me do a quick trick, abracadabra, bam, there's your wine. (sighs) Back to Peter, where was I? No, no, this is a Jesus who's fully engaged, and in this moment, he says, bring your low points, and I'm going to do super abundantly more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. What I want to ask you is, what is your expectation of Jesus tonight? I love it, Mary. She had full confidence in Jesus. I want to tell you that my fragile heart, I don't have full confidence in my emotions, if I'm honest. I see them go up and down. At the drop of a hat. I don't have full confidence in my ability to to make my relationships work. I don't have full confidence in myself and my capabilities or my consistencies. But what I do have confidence in this evening, sir, ma'am, is that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. And I want to encourage you, would you be open to inviting Jesus into the lowest spaces of your life? The areas where he's feeling low, maybe even where there has been heartbreak. Because I want to tell you that a broken heart is a dangerous thing. If a broken heart stays broken, I've seen too many people take a broken heart where they've been disappointed, rejected, let down, and they don't find healing because that low area won't allow Jesus to bring healing there. And they drag those bones, they drag that story into future relationships that hijack what God had for them in the future. I want to tell you, maybe potentially, could you invite Jesus into your bedroom if you're married? I got really quiet. I remember when I got married to Fee and we were having conversations. We said, actually, we want to count for Jesus. You know, our finances are His. It's non-negotiable. We said, you know, our friendships are His. Our futures are His. Our jobs are His. And then we got to the thing saying, what about our sex life? It just seemed weird to invite Jesus into that. It was just a weird conversation. Until we start to understand that if we don't know that Jesus created for our future, for our freedom, and for our ultimate fulfillment in him, his design, he says he wants to lead us in that. I want to tell you, maybe, sir, ma'am, you've kept your bedroom at uh, at, at odds, your sex life if you're married here, at odds and away from what Jesus has for you. Invite Jesus into that space. We've heard too many stories of couples saying, we haven't slept together for seven years, eight years. And I'll tell you, that's not right. That's not what God has got for you. God has got more. When the low areas, he says, I'm just beginning. Will you trust me and invite me in there? Right. Too real tonight? You want to write Sunday night? I want to tell you that are you full of expectation or excuses? Because, you know, the other night, uh, I, I remember when I... When I um. We went to bed at 8.30 on Sunday night, on Monday night last week, and 8.30, just before I went to, locked up the house for the night, I went into the garden, started to pack up Olivia's, uh, her toys had lain strewed across the garden, um, the grass in the garden. And as I started to tidy up, uh, our neighbor had been away for three weeks, so his house was dark, quiet, empty. And as I was tidying up in the dark there at 8.30, I heard a noise next door that was unmistakably a human being, right opposite the wall behind me, uh, across from us. And I, my blood ran cold. So I reached for my, my, my sandwich. My, it's my golf club, just for those who are not aware. It's not, not, my, not my chicken and, and cheese sandwich. My golf club. And I, I remember I just sort of tippy backwards into the house. I was like, don't say a word. And I slowly shut the gate as if not to make a noise. Shut the door, set the alarm, and crept upstairs, upstairs to the window and stared upstairs, up, out our upstairs window into the garden next door for about 10 minutes, trying to see if I could see anyone in there. After a while, I set our alarm, which is beams in the front of the garden. I got into bed, and I, and I, I got there, and I said to fear, I think there's someone next door. I said, yeah, I, said, I should have put my glasses on. I would have seen clearer. But I said, I think there's someone next door, and, but, but maybe, maybe I'm imagining it. Maybe I'm imagining it. Maybe we should have just got to bed. 10 minutes later, without, without stretching the truth at all here, the honest truth was 10 minutes went by, and then our, our alarm went off. The front alarm, you know, that panic. And I was like, I knew it, I knew it. And I pick up the golf club again, and t- terror fills my heart as I run downstairs. The most youth my golf club's got in this whole year. And as I ran downstairs, nervous, I was panicking and fearful. And uh, and, I, and it, was, it stirred our emotions in that moment. But then the alarms, the, the star alarm guys came. They checked out the property. The, the intruders had hightailed it out of there. So we went to bed with a little, little bit excited, a bit nervous. So grateful for the alarm in the front garden. But it's at this moment that you start having discussions with your spouse saying, are we 100% safe in this house? Is the, you know, only when you've had a bit of a, an alarming experience, excuse the pun, but if you have a moment where you're a bit shocked, you start to wonder, are we safe in this home? And as we start to think about it, no, we're fine there until we realize, actually, but the back of our house has got a low wall, and there's no beams and no alarm there. So if you are an intruder and wanting to attack us, that's the area. <laughs> Noted. But why I say this, suddenly we realize in that moment that actually we, we did have some low spaces in our house. And I want to tell you that this is without stretching the story, but the enemy will always attack you at your lowest place. You can be thriving in every area. You can have it all together. But if the enemy knows the bones that you're dragging behind you and the enemy will take you on in that part, I won't tell you this is not a game for us, but I believe tonight that actually the enemy will come when you're not full, when you're low in emotions, When you're low in your feelings, when you're low in relationships, when you're low in self-control, I want to urge and appeal you, invite Jesus into that space tonight. Don't leave that place open to the enemy. Because he will come. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When we are low, Jesus is only just beginning. Second point this evening is in the story, Jesus takes what seems ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Jesus takes what's ordinary and makes it extraordinary. You see, there were six stone Water jars that are there, and uh, these water jars are, are nothing fancy. They're not made of any fancy uh, material. In my head, they—they almost like in our culture those buckets that were in your shower for the last two years during the drought that you used to fill up and wash your water your garden and and fill the toilet system with. There was just those buckets, ordinary buckets there, filled with water. Why they were actually a fixture in every home in the Jewish culture. So when people came for a meal, they would wash their hands. They used for ceremonial washing. Before they eat, they would wash their hands. They would wash their body. They will wash their face. So much so, the Scriptures tell us that they actually would sometimes wash their utensils, wash the things they had been cooking with before they started the meal. And these, like at the wedding, was no different than any other Jewish home. They had these six jars there full of water for people to wash before they would partake in the celebration. I love the fact... That Jesus comes and he takes what was used to be a routine cleanser and he turns it into the main event. Something that was just going to be an ordinary fixture in every home. And he turns that thing into the thing that grabs everyone's attention. But the question I'm asking is, when did the water turn into wine? The scriptures actually don't tell us. He says to them, fill it to the brim. So I want to ask, did, did the water turn into the wine as they were filling the jugs? The ceremonial washing, washing jugs, did, they, did the water turn to wine there? And they go, oh my goodness. Or did it turn into wine when they're carrying it back to Jesus and trying not to spill too much? Because he said, fill it to the brim. That mother looks quite intense. Be careful. We've got to follow exactly what she said. And we, or did it turn into wine as they poured it out for the master's ceremonies to taste? The Bible doesn't tell us. And I love the fact that the Bible doesn't tell us because it gives us an opportunity to lean in your faith We don't actually know but I want to say that the line that I think is so key it says this. Once Jesus has spoken, it says, So the servants obeyed his instructions. I don't know when the water turned into wine in this journey, but I want to tell you that God works with our obedience and not our intentions. God works with our obedience and not our intentions. You see, I I believe humanity, our heart is that we all want the product. We all want the water into wine moments. We all want the breakthrough. We all want the healing in relationships. We all want God to bring restoration where our sexuality has gone haywire. We all want God to turn the water into wine. We all want the product, but none of us want the process. That before the water was turned into wine, they had to fill it, they had to carry it, they had to pour it. And I don't know when it turned into the wine for these guys. They might have felt very silly when he says, and pour it out for the MC, pour it out for the banquet, going, we're pouring water out for everybody. Does he know that? I don't know when the miracle happened. But I want to ask you tonight, in your relationship, sir, ma'am, will you keep fetching water? When it feels silly to do, when it feels like actually not seeing breakthrough, will you keep fetching water? What do I mean by that? Is that when you're single and you wish God would turn those two blue ticks into a reply from the one you love. And you wish God would do that miracle. Water into wine, I want blue ticks into reply. Please, Jesus. Maybe you're married here and you wish the spark and joy would return. Or maybe you're desperate for a breakthrough in your relationship. Or you're lonely and in desperate need for God's grace and kindness. I want to say to you, will you keep fetching water? What do I mean by that? Will you just keep serving God? Will you keep going to the source? Will you keep flowing and pouring in the Word of God into your life when it doesn't seem like breakthrough is happening? Will you keep pouring in worship? Will you keep pouring in generosity? Will you keep pouring in serving and keep fetching what God has told you to do when everything else, when your flesh wants to go this way, you'll say, I'm going to be faithful to what He's called me to do because actually you never know along that journey when He's going to bring the breakthrough. You see, this is the problem, though, is I think we are a generation, we are people who are always looking for cheap shortcuts. We're looking for a cheap, fast solution. God, give me the, that's awesome. How did I get that that, that that water into wine recipe? I want to make it happen at every wedding. Well, actually, Jesus only did it once. But actually, you know what? He can do that same sort of thing in your relationships if you trust Him. But He's not in your timeline. He's in His ability as you walk and trust Him in this journey. You see, the problem is that lust is a bucket that is full of holes. It will demand you to constantly fill it, but it will give you so little satisfaction in return. It's the bucket that never is full. It will call on you and say, fill me up, fill me up, demand my flesh, be led by your emotions, be led by your feelings, be led by your flesh, and you'll pour and pour and pour, but that bucket never gets full, and you wonder, why am I still so empty? Why am I still so drained? Because you're giving your best energy to something that does not give you anything in return. Can I say in this, can we be a people who slay the monster of lust tonight? the bones of lust that you've been dragging behind you for years, the the bones of your internet porn addiction, the bones of the rejection that you face in a relationship that keeps pushing you to other men and women that you shouldn't be with, the, the, the bones of the past brokenness that keeps sending you to social media, keeps sending you to direct messages and saying, they're the ones who send me the message. Those bones, can we bury them tonight and say, actually, God is not working on my intentions. He's working on my obedience. Will I start filling jugs of water and watch him do a miracle in front of me? You know what? I think maybe tonight you're thinking about lust. I always say lust is something that maybe you use excuses. Everyone does it. Or everyone, this is just natural for for the human appetite. You know, lust might seem ordinary and normal to you, but... This point works in the converse as well. The enemy says he'll take what is ordinary and normal to you now and he'll turn to something extraordinarily destructive they will destroy your future. Today, can we be a people who slay that monster of lust? Don't carry that coffin around any longer. I want to suggest to you, could you be a people, if you are married here today, and you say, my marriage is definitely more water than wine at the moment. There's not much going on. There. It feels like it's, we're not really clicking. The romance seems dead. Sir, ma'am, can you be a person who gets up early in the morning tomorrow and start pouring water for your family? Can you start reading the word of God and say, I'm going to actually, my marriage might seem dead and buried, but actually I'm going to trust God in this thing. I'm going to start sowing with some seed where actually God needs us to sow. Will I be a person who's going to start so serving my family? Everything inside of me, they keep giving me the silent treatment. I feel like I want to just retreat and say, that if that's what you want, I'm going to sit on the couch. No, I'm going to pick up jugs of water and I'm going to start serving my family. Because in that ordinary moment, Jesus says, I can do extraordinary things there. If you're a single person, you're saying, God, I want a future. Stop sowing into the things of your flesh. Stop pouring water into social media. Stop pouring into other activities when God's saying, would you sow now into the word of God? Would you pour now into the spiritual realm? Because in those moments, watch what I'll do with your future. Your parents were divorced. You're, their family, there's blitters of broken relationships. If you'll be faithful now, watch what I'll do. Married a couple yesterday who have come from very, very broken homes. And they said to me yesterday, they said, we want our marriage to be the first marriage that that survives and does not get divorced. And we want us to set up the future of our kids and their kids and their kids. And I believe today, if people understand that actually it's the ordinary that leads to extraordinary, that we'll see many cycle breakers here. People who break the cycle of their families, break the cycle of their past, who bury the bones and say, I'm just going to stop carrying the bones of my parents for another year. I'm going to bury them and turn to the one who makes all things new. Jesus is the God who takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. I say it one more time. He doesn't work on intentions. He works on obedience. Because I've said in so many sermons where passionate preachers beat their chest and read scripture and use illustrations. And I went, Yes! And walked out the same. My prayer is that you do not walk out here tonight going, that was a great word. Come on, let me drag my bones and the empty coffin of my past out with me again. The grace of Jesus is here for you to be and say, Jesus, it's yours. And you can walk out of here different. Thirdly and finally this evening, the story I see is that when we think our best is past and done, Jesus says the best is yet to come. I love this story. Because you see, the MC was so shocked when they came and bought him this wine. And they poured it out, and the water turns to wine. They're so amazed. And actually, he, he says this. The MC goes, and he goes to the, the bridegroom, and he says, the bridegroom is so shocked. He says, you guys are amazing. He said, the culture of the day is that the best wine usually comes out first when everyone's sober. And he said, as they get drunk, you bring out the Tussies. No offense if you love Tussies. They bring out the cheaper wine. We bring out the watered-down versions, you know, because no one actually will be able to tell the difference anymore. But he said, but you guys, the wine just seems to have gone up a notch. This seems like some vintage stuff, stuff that you'll never find in Chequers, stuff you'll never find in Woolworths. It's the wine that you have to go up into the, into the wine country of France to find. In Israel, like, how did you get to France? They're, they're so shocked because the wine is so good. He's like, you've left the best to last. This is insanity. What I love about that is that it indicates Jesus telling us something here. I said it at a wedding. I say at every wedding that my prayer is that the wedding day would not be the best day of that couple's marriage. I pray that. And and when I say that, everyone looks at me shocked. Whoa. I pray this would not be your best day. Wow, that's a bit offensive. I say, why? Because I pray this will be a launching pad to greater greater and greater and greater days ahead. Because actually the culture of our day sells us jokes and memes and innuendos that actually marriage is the old ball and chain. This is going to be tough and the, you just got to drag your way to the end. The wedding was great and it was downhill from there. And I would tell you the scriptures tell me different. That with Jesus it can get better and better and better. I want to declare with confidence over every marriage here today. you sitting and maybe you're dead and your marriage feels dead and buried. Maybe your marriage feels so old and stale. I want to declare that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come of your marriage. The best is yet to come. If you trust Jesus, watch what he can do. Maybe tonight you're here and you say, your marriage is dead in God. Your addiction may seem to be getting stronger and stronger. Your pain is getting harder and harder to deal with. It's never too late for Jesus to bring something powerful and beautiful out of a broken mess. When Jesus is in the equation, there's always possibility for a miracle. I believe there's the potential and seeds of a miracle here tonight if you and I respond in faith. Let me say this. Don't water down your convictions. Don't water down your faith because of the season you're in. The enemy will get you to water down what you, what you believe. We'll water down your convictions. Water down what you believe in Jesus. And actually, can I tell you, stop being cynical about Jesus. Maybe you've been in church for too long. What I mean about that, you've heard all the sermons. You know, I bet I know they're going to go to that key change now. Yep, I know that song. Here's the thing. Jesus, he supersedes your ability to work this whole thing out. Jesus looks at your marriage and he looks at your sex life. He looks at your singleness and he says, I can do the impossible if you let me. This is the God we serve. We serve the God of the impossibilities. This is who Jesus is. And this story shows it in a dramatic way. But what? What it so illustrates the best is that we've got a, a couple in our church, and one of my friends, one of my hearers, actually, they were married for 20 years. And for 20 years, his wife was led to believe that they were each other's firsts. Because when they got started dating, the question came up, have you slept with anyone else? And he gulped, and he said, no, you're my first. They went to the altar with that truth, and for 20 years, he's kept up that facade of that actually I've, you're the only one I've ever slept with. 20 years. Their marriage is actually fine. Their marriage is doing well. They're godly. They're raising godly kids. It's okay. But for 20 years, that man heard the rattle of some bones behind him. For 20 years, he was dragging some bones behind him of a story that was not dead and buried. That would always just whisper in his ear, she doesn't fully know you. And then two years ago at a men's camp, this guy got courage. And he said, actually, I, this story its 20 years in the making. Do you think I can just say a prayer privately and move on? He's it's it's like, no, actually, I think I need to tell my wife what happened. And he said, I'm going to expose this area. I'm going to expose this very low area that feels very low and dangerous and sore to my wife, and I don't know how she'll respond. And he said, it was a very ordinary moment when he went to her. It was not a dramatic moment. There was no keyboards playing. He sat down with her and said, love, I need to tell you something. Not knowing how she would respond, he, shared, he said, actually, I don't know how she will respond, but I do know that Jesus is faithful. And he'll work this to the good of, of those who love him if I trust him in this journey. And as he shared the story, of course, there was pain. There was, there was hurt. He was trying to work and she to process it out. But I tell you, that story is so powerful. Why? Because actually that man took his ordinary act of faith and Jesus made something extraordinary out of it. And that woman responded in an extraordinary way with forgiveness. And that marriage has gone from strength to strength to strength. And actually, I believe that actually we haven't seen the full glory of that decision yet. I believe those daughters are going to walk into a bigger future because their dad made a stand not to drag those bones around into another generation. He said, I'm going to bury them here for the sake of my family, for the sake of my kids, and for the sake of their kids. Because this is actually the truth of the gospel, is that actually the decisions we make today will affect our future. And Jesus is wanting to bring freedom here. You know what? This is the powerful thing as we land this time together this evening. Why I love this story is that actually it lands with it saying, when you turn the water into wine, they all celebrated. the party carried on, and it says, by this, Jesus first revealed his glory. Now, I always just read that going, I studied marketing. I'm like, I don't know if that's the big opener you want, Jesus. It's cool. Water into wine, don't get me wrong. Cool party trick. I like it. But, you know, I'm like, first time you're going to reveal your glory, I'm going for that walking on water thing. I don't know about you. First time revealing my glory. My big entrance, I'm going to raise the dead. Oh, I'm going to blind eyes open for me. Whoa, Jesus. Water into wine to, at a party where most people are already probably drunk. First time he revealed his glory. Why? I'll tell you why it's so profound. Is that actually he was showing us something a little bit bigger than just water into wine. You see, Jesus came to this earth and we get the first indication of that. And the first three words of, of the scripture says, and on the third day, There was a wedding. Now the writer John, we find out at the end, the whole reason he's writing this whole book called John was to tell us that we would believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And the first clue is it says, and on the third day, there's something else dramatic happened on the third day a few years later, but just you'll get there in your own time. But the incredible thing, Jesus came to take a system that has sold us watering big water jugs that would wash our outsides to make us clean. And he said, I'm gonna trade the thing that, the thing of religion, the stale religion that sells to you the thing, clean harder, wash harder, wash deeper, scrub deeper, scrub, scrub longer. I'm gonna take that, that, the charade of religion, and I'm gonna replace it with my blood that goes on the inside and affects the outside. This is the miracle of the water into wine because you see the chief difference between Jesus and every other religion on the planet. Jesus and every single other religion, even the the, the moralistic thing of of Christianity that parades as faith. I tell you, Jesus and every other religion has this one distinction. Every other religion says, make your way to God. It says, every religion at the start gives you a, a, a metaphorical jug of water and says, clean yourself enough so that one day when you get to in front of God, that maybe you'll be clean enough and he'll let you in. Every religion has some form or shape of a religious system like that, except for Jesus who says, I'm coming to you. And he says, I'm coming to you. And we learn that on the cross, he became empty. Philippians 2 said he emptied himself to the very lowest point. He became so low on the cross. It tells us that he became ordinary. Isaiah 53 says he had nothing about him that would attract us to him. He became very ordinary. He became a thief on the cross, crucified at eye level that no one even gave him a second glance. So The Bible tells us actually he didn't only just become low. He didn't just become ordinary. He says that he died. He became dead and buried in the ground. But three days later, he rose again triumphantly over sin and death to declare a new day for every single heart today. I want to tell you with such excitement tonight, he said this on the cross. He said, it is finished. And he was not announcing an end to, to, to life as we know it. He was announcing a beginning to a brand new life where he says bones can stay here. Coffins can stay here. If you trust me, there's new life for your relationships. There's new resurrection life for your, for your marriage. There's resurrection life for your addictions. There's life on every level if you will trust me. Yeah. Tonight, I want to ask you and appeal to you. Will you trust Jesus with the areas that are low and empty in your life? Will you trust Jesus with the areas that are very ordinary and mundane and never seeming to bring breakthrough? Will you trust Jesus with the dead and buried areas of your life? Because I believe Jesus... When things are low, he's just getting started. I believe Jesus that he takes ordinary things and he makes them extraordinary. I believe Jesus takes dead and buried things and he brings them to life and life eternal. Can we stand to our feet this evening?